What are you doing this weekend? Hanging out. Where? Yard work. Yard work. That sounds terrible. <laughs> no, we are talking about solo cups. What color? Red. Red what? Red. Red solo cups. <laughs> red solo cup. There are going to be a lot of red solo cups out at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Not my trademark, so I don't want to claim it. Can we get solo to make checkered flag solo cups? That would be pretty awesome. I We have checkered flag toothpicks for which you can assert, insert your um, into your olives and your limes and whether, whatever other accoutrement you want in your drink of choice. Mine in particular is a Bloody Mary uh, with Zing Zang, Bloody Mary mix. 100%. Send me royalty checks. Or just a free bottle of Zing Zang would be amazing because that's delicious. what I forgot. Set Zing Zang bottle on the uh, on the counter. All right, next time. All right, so Todd family tradition. We've had Indianapolis 500 race tickets in our family since the 1940s. So our traditions are similar to a lot of other families out there. I was not alive then, just for the record. That's true. And obviously I wasn't either since I am the younger brother. Please note that on the record. Uh, and we currently have 20 seats. We have a core group of families and friends that have been going with us for many, many years. Uh, this will be, if you include, uh, let me rephrase, if you exclude last year because Doug Bowles, the president of IMS, gave everyone a pass. Last year did not count towards breaking of any streaks. So my in our family, you have to be nine years old to go to the race. Why nine? I have no idea. It's a completely arbitrary number. And as a kid, that was like, this is BS. Like It was torture, why? especially when you're eight. Because you're like, what the heck's the difference between eight and nine? Like, let me go to the race. So in 1987, that was my first race. So do the math. 30 years and 17, 18, 19, that's 32. 20 doesn't count. So this would be my 30, sorry, yeah, 33rd race consecutive, again, last year not counting, which uh, is symbolic with 33 starting drivers in the field, uh, 32 men, one woman, would like to see more women. Don't know where Pippa was at, but would love to see her get a ride. Uh, and, Milka? And, uh, no Milka. No, no <laughs> fine driver that she is. Uh, and no Lotus, no Lotus engines, thankfully. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we're very much looking forward to getting back at it this weekend uh, as as the world comes back to life somewhat post-pandemic, narrow end of the funnel pandemic. So I'm pretty psyched, to say the least. It's going to be a good one. I mean, yesterday's qualifications, Fast 9, the nine cars going into that, I think were separated by just over half a mile an hour. Something Which like that. Made it, it pretty was, competitive. Yeah, I, I think going down the backstretch and hitting 237-ish, flat out diving into a corner is uh, something that I would love to have the opportunity to do. And if given that opportunity, would probably completely chicken out. <laughs> Let me try it. That would be cool. Maybe 180. Not sure. Not sure what that feels like. Yeah. Even 125 going around there in the uh, Chevy Impala, you feel it. Granted, yeah. it's an Impala, but... Was it like a 78 Impala with big rims and some ground effects? Uh, no, no, uh, no ground effects. No, no hydraulics. <laughs> oh, you weren't hitting switches. No. <laughs> uh, are we recording? Oh, we are recording. Holy crap. Well, 
Might as well get, get rolling. All right. What do you want to talk about? Well, uh, I'm Vince Todd, for the record. And again, I am Joe Todd. Welcome to episode one of the Industrious Podcast. Happy to be here. Glad to get this thing rolling finally. Um, excited about it. This is one of our, I'll call it pandemic projects. There were a lot of pandemic projects. Yes, that's that's just true. Um, let's Before we get into the pandemic conversation, um, which I'm sure people are, are starting to get tired of, but it, it's worth noting for sure. Um, let's talk about where where everything began uh, for us in in this business um, when we decided to get industrious. <laughs> How's that for a... I was waiting for angels to sing. <laughs> uh, I know for me, um, I actually... So I was working for another company that uh, distributes or had was distributing at the time you know, cable modems, DSL modems, if you guys, anybody remembers those. Um, growing pretty rapidly. This, this is before the the tech bubble burst of the early 2000s. And uh, received a call from dad about uh, a product line uh, that was, he was coming on board with and needed someone to manage that. And, um, you know, I was I was happy at the time, but there was something about that idea that was kind of ingrained in us with even going back to our high school days when mom had the frozen yogurt shops about, you know, having your, doing your own thing or having your own thing or being part of something that, that you had a stake in. And so when he called and we talked about it, um, for me, it was, it was almost a no brainer. Now, did I think I was going to go sell paint for a living? No, but you know, I, I think, uh, when, when your name's on the door, so to speak, um, I don't want to say the products are irrelevant, but it kind of is, at least to me. Uh, that was so. That was in January of '02, when I uh, when I officially started up with what was then Pates and Solvents. Yeah, I think it's fair to say no one enters the coatings industry willingly. They sort of get sucked in, and then once you're in, you're just you're never getting out. <laughs> uh, it's sort of an inside joke amongst a lot of people within the paint world, and uh, you know it's it's a true stereotype because uh, once you're in, you're locked. Uh, it might, I think my story is somewhat similar uh, in how, you know, entering the industry and that it's a family business and with a family business uh, comes a lot of guilt, guilt trips. <laughs> uh, so for me, uh, it's, you know, May 24th, race week in Indy, but also graduation time of year. So a lot of colleges and universities and in, in throughout the country and particularly here in the Midwest, are going through their graduation ceremonies. So I look back uh, many, many years ago, graduating from Indiana University, go hoosh, uh, and as my kids think, the only college choice in the country. Um, <laughs> or as my oldest would say, Dad, I wish IU had a suggestion box because I'd like to leave a note in it that they start an engineering program because I really want to be an engineer, but I don't want to go to Purdue. He's, he's a smart kid on multiple levels. Um, I graduated from IU with what I thought was my dream job, moving to Cincinnati and working for Procter and Gamble. And off I went to Cincy to the queen city home of the big red machine and some sort of football team, apparently. Uh, and not that long, 
uh, into my tenure there did I realize that I am not wired to be a big corporate guy. I did not like the uh, corporate culture. Nothing wrong with it. It just wasn't suited for me. Uh, and then at the time, with between family members that wanted sitting across the table from me and Vince, uh, and then also our mom, were both going through treatment for cancer. And my then girlfriend, now wife, at that time the writing was on the wall, was living in Indy. So there were a lot of pulls back to to Naptown. And while I came, when I did come back, our father, who had purchased a division of another company, the Coatings Division, and and made it his own, uh, you know, sort of on me to come join the family business. Vince had just joined uh, not too long before, and I think he saw it as sort of his dream and his succession and sort of the the painting he had uh, had in his mind that we were all in on this business, and I was not ready for that yet. So I got a job here in Indy, but then, gosh, monthly, it was like ping, 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 and finally, I think being the, as the youngest child of the family, being the pleaser, finally I relented to what I call the guilt trip and, and got sucked in. And, uh, but to Vince's point, you know, when it's your, when it's your name on the door, um, and, and you build a team around you that some of which have been with us for a long time and, and, uh, and are more than just. Uh, people you work with, you know, you create these long lasting relationships, all the, all the sweat equity that goes into building something, it, you really take a lot of pride and, 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 and uh, care for what you got there. It's almost like having another child, but it just talks back a little bit less than an actual <laughs> child. Yeah, I, I would agree with that comment. Um, so fast forwarding that, well, that was, what year was that? Was that 04? I'd like not to comment on what year it was because I don't want to age myself or maybe because I just don't remember. Okay. It was the, the early 2000s. How's that? Ish. Um, yes. Um, so then I would say, and correct me where I'm wrong, 05, 06-ish, we were more or less handling a lot of the day-to-day. Um, but I, I vividly remember kind of fast-forwarding here a little bit. Of course, the 08, 09 Great Recession was an interesting time for not just us, but everyone clearly. Um, I would say that was the NBA by experience uh, for a lot of people. Um, The entire industry shrank massively. Yeah. Um, You know, we had to make some very difficult decisions like most other businesses did. Um, And so it was a, it was a tough time, but we weathered that, weathered that storm and got through it and, have grown ever since. Yeah, I, I I won't forget that. I think we still have emotional scars um, from that period of time for our you know our business as well as like you said a lot of you know, really anyone industry wide and, and on a broader scale you know the the uh, nationally and globally the economic impact for us a lot of difficult decisions were made. Uh, but with that gray cloud with silver lining and that it caused us to really reshuffle the deck. Uh, you know, the, the famous book by Jack Welch, good to great. It, you could pick out a lot of lines out of that. Uh, and, and I think it was Collins. Huh? It was Collins. What'd I say? You said Jack Welch. Oh, the old G- oh geez. Yeah. Well, yes, you're right. I think you're right. Sorry. Anyway. Uh, I'm getting old. I can't remember a lot. Um, 
but not as old as you. Um, <laughs> so I, it caused us to reshuffle the deck. And as the, as the saying goes, you have so many seats on the bus and you have so many people that can fit on that bus. You've got to determine who is, who belongs on the bus in the first place and who doesn't. And, and unfortunately you've got to remove some people from the bus and then those who you have left, you've got to figure out, okay, where do they sit? Where's the best seat for them? Not only for them, but also for the company overall. And, and you just, you do your best to make that match. And that caused us to, to really, um, like I said, reshuffle the deck. And when that, I remember it was April, I believe it was April of 2009. Someone somewhere flipped a switch and all the machines, all the assembly lines came back on. And while it didn't go right back to, you know, 100 miles an hour at once, that's when things started picking back up. And fortunately for us, we were well suited and ready to take that on. Um, and I think if you fast forward to what we've gone through the last year plus with the pandemic and where we were a year ago, you know, in May of 2020, going April of 2020, when internally we had what we called Project Greenlight, and that was, you know, I don't want to get too deep into this, but we've got a lot of downtime. Uh, we had a lot of our markets were shut down or significantly uh, slower in, uh, from a daily business standpoint. Where we said, okay, at some point we've seen, you know, we've seen this movie before. At some point, someone's going to come in and say, "Green light, go," and we need to be ready for it. Um, so. You know, sometimes the lessons you you learn during the really challenging times, you don't see it in that moment. But looking back, not that I want to go through a great recession again, uh, but looking back, you, you can see where it strengthened us for sure. Yeah. Did McConaughey get his idea for his new book, Green Lights, from that, from our project? Yes. And we'll actually, have a conversation he, with him. Well, he sent a check. You didn't okay. get your... I, I missed my no. portion of that. Um, well, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> Uh, going so we're going back real quick in oh I think it was it was before the Great Recession I can't remember if it was 05, but when we had some time to start really thinking about the fifty thousand foot view uh, the the company name at that time was Paints and Solvents terrible and for a whole host of reasons we weren't big fans of that so um, that is when we went through the project of basically rebranding or renaming uh, the company. Um, and that's where Excessa came from. I won't go into great detail, but essentially we wanted to find something that um, better reflected what what we did, but what, what we wanted to do, what we wanted to become, but also gave us the ability to diversify further, which we knew we wanted to do over time. Uh, I'm glad we did that for sure. Yeah. Now, for the audience, a quick synopsis of where the name Assessa came from. It's a, a mashup of the words ascent and access. So we knew from the beginning, we didn't just want to sell paint to manufacturers. We wanted to provide a variety of solutions, whether it be uh, very tactical, actual physical coatings that they're going to apply in their manufacturing process or bigger picture business solutions where we can be a part of helping them strategize uh, about their manufacturing process and, and solve problems for them. Even if we don't sell them actual product, we can still be some form of solutions provider, we want to be able to grant access to that. And then Ascent, because we're not 
satisfied at any given point of where we are in the business, we know that there's a lot of potential out there for us to go realize. So we're constantly trying to maintain an ascent uh, upward, obviously. Uh, so that's where the mashup of ascent and, and access became assessa. Correct. I concur. <laughs> Perfect. Glad I got that straight. Right. So then, okay, going back, we'll fast forward now back to more recent days. Um, reason why I wanted to do that was because, so March of 2020, when everything was hitting the fan, so to speak, um, I guess let, let's let's relive that moment, sort of. Do we have to? <laughs> well, not, I mean, not specifically, but I I just remember that you know when it when it finally hit, like you, everyone heard of things coming along. You heard of this you know virus spreading overseas, then you heard of things starting to happen here in the states, and no one was really sure. Okay, what is this going to be a big deal? Is it not? You know what what what's going to happen? And then, and not, certainly not to make light of it, but then like. I remember watching the Big Ten tournament right before the NCAA, and I think it was the second round or after the second round, they basically said shut it off, and then within a couple of days, they said, yeah, the NCAA tournament is not going to happen. And everyone was like, oh, shit. Yeah. Like, this is legit. Yeah, I think, at, at you know, leading up to that, there, all you saw on the national news was, hey, there's a mystery illness in uh, regions in China, and, you know, you, you just – you. In your daily life, you're so busy doing what you do that you hear, okay, well, China's on the other side of the world from us. Something's going on over there. That's terrible. But you just, it's like anything in the news. You kind of hear it and then you, and you move on. And then I remember watching the Big Ten tournament because being an, an IU guy, attracted to watching the other Big Ten teams. And it was uh, Fred Hoiberg uh, was well, coaching Nebraska, right? Right. And I don't remember who they were playing. And he just looked. You could just see every time they showed a sideline shot throughout the game. Were they not playing IU? They were not playing IU. Oh. I think they are playing maybe like Minnesota or something. Okay. I, I don't recall exactly. He just, you could see his physical health deteriorating. And then about three minutes to go in the game. I don't know why I noticed this because I typically would notice such things. But he was not on the sideline anymore. And I remember saying to myself, hey, where, where'd he go? The coach just left the sideline. And fast forward, it turns out they took him to the hospital. He tested negative for COVID. And that was one of the very, very early moments of them doing any sort of testing. And I think he, I think he may have tested positive for, for influenza is what they, what they released. So he had the flu, obviously got a pretty bad case of it. But the bigger story wasn't just the illness, especially since it was, hey, it's not this. It's something you've heard of but that they held both teams in the locker rooms until the test results came back. That was your very first direct experience of quarantine, mm -hmm. but had, you know, we had no idea what it was at that time. And that was, I think that was sort of the first domino because then, yes, then the, the broader big 10 tournament was canceled. Other conference tournaments canceled out. The NCAA tournament was in question uh, the NBA, you know, you had the, the guy on the recorder and all this stuff, and then you had the one game where people were actually in the stands, but they hadn't tipped off yet, and they said, hey, sorry, but the game has been canceled, and everyone's like, what the heck is going on? And then you had uh, the Valspar Championship PGA event down in uh, Tampa, St. Pete area. That ended up, you know, kind of canceling out. It just, 
that the, the first domino fell, and then very quickly all the other dominoes kind of came down. Yeah. And that's when I think everyone was like, oh, boy. And then for us from a business perspective, it was Friday at about 4 p.m. Eastern time. So end of the day, end of the week, you're, you're half checked out to the weekend about whatever it is you know on the schedule. And this was in late March. I don't remember the exact date. Well, it was a week after St. Patrick's Day, I believe. It was around that time frame because there, I have, there are two paths that I have a memory so of. So Irish. Very much St. So. Patrick's Day. Don't we look Irish? I like, well, yeah. <laughs> I like Guinness. Uh, I like beef stew. I like Lucky Charms. Does that make me Irish? No. no. Only on St. Patty's Day. Um, there, are, there are two memories I have. One is my kids' school experience and what that was like, and then our work experience. And on the work one, I remember, again, 4 o'clock on a Friday afternoon, and we got a notice that the state of Illinois was shutting all non-essential businesses down. The problem was they they had a press conference announcing this, but the actual state order wasn't out yet. So there's no definition at that time of what is an essential or non-essential business. So based on what we knew, we needed to shut down. And in our line of work, having flammable hazardous materials in storage and in production, you can't just lock a door and walk out. You've got to properly shut down equipment, properly uh, make sure that inventory is, is stored you know, correctly before you can just possibly leave for an undetermined amount of time. And so we did that very quickly because it was 4 o'clock Eastern time, 3 o'clock in Illinois. So we had very little time to do all of this and really just sort of wound down operation in our uh, Arthur, Illinois facility and our Chicago, Illinois facility. And then at maybe 7 a.m. Saturday morning, woke up to a phone call saying, hey, you don't have to shut down. You are essential. Well, overnight, the state had released its order where you could actually read the provisions and read the definitions of what everything meant. And because we serve the construction industry or a supplier to the construction industry, which was considered essential, we were needed to stay open. So come Saturday, Sunday, and then first thing Monday morning, wound operations all back up. And it just, on the fly, it seemed like every five minutes the, the news was changing and you're making decisions and, and unwinding decisions, rewinding decisions, that frenetic pace, I, I won't forget that for sure. And like everybody else, we were learning on the fly how to do a Zoom meeting or a Microsoft Teams meeting. I mean, for my money, oh, video conferencing is where it's at. There's just nothing more enjoyable than a good, solid, four-hour-long <laughs> video conference <laughs> with no bathroom breaks, can't eat or drink. Uh, yeah, that's just fantastic. But it, it's funny. Well, funny is not the right word, but it's amazing to think about how few video conferences people did prior to this and how many you've done now in the last 12 to 18 months. I mean, I've, I've probably done, I don't know if I did any video conferences, quite frankly, before. If they were, I can on one hand, and now I should do more than that in a week. Yeah. I, I recall when people were too cheap to subscribe to Zoom, to Zoom so they did the 45-minute freebie. And then you kind of knew because in the 44th minute they talked really fast, like, okay, goodbye. And then they would just shut off and you're like, wait, I, I have more agenda to talk about. Uh, yeah, it, it, I, I feel like as a company, uh, and obviously I'm biased, but I think we did really, a really, really good job 
in that time period of trying to make decisions as best we could on the information we had at the time yeah. and tried very hard. I guess you'd have to, it'd be better to pull any one of our team members to find out, Hey, what did you think of the communication at the time? But we tried to be as outward and open and proactive in our communication as possible. Uh, knowing that there were a lot more questions at the end of it than there were answers, but we were all in the same boat. And, and I will credit every one of our team members for being empathetic to the fact that there are a lot of questions and very little answers out there. Yeah. So to that point, April was, I'll call it the dark time because March things were shutting down and everything was just kind of setting in pretty much for the month of April is when most consumer oriented things were on lockdown. I mean, you weren't leaving the house in the month of April. Um, most businesses had, had determined or found, yeah, I guess determined is the right word, whether they're essential or not. So either they're open and operating or they're shut down. And, and some that were deemed essential still had to shut down because then they had an outbreak internally. And so obviously sales of product had, had, you know, decreased quite a bit in the month of April. But the interesting thing for us, and I don't know if this is something that is a, a result of the Great Recession or not, but I think, especially looking back, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. For us, it allowed, it gave us time to pause from being so heavily in the business to take a step back, or maybe I should say take a step up and focus on the business, not just with the issue at hand, which of course consumed probably 80% of the conversation, but the 20% of, okay, at the end of 2019, we had our, our strategic planning session to talk about 2020, what our goals were. Those haven't totally changed, but because of the situation we're in and not knowing is this, you know, this month of April, is this going to be the next six months or what? We start talking about, you know, okay, what does, what do things look like now? How does this change what our plan was for 2020? Um, what do we need to tweak and, and, and go forward uh, with from there? I, I know I enjoyed that portion and maybe it was more into the May, June area when I'm going to say this very loosely, things got better or started to get better. At least, um, you had a little bit clearer picture to some extent. Um, but I felt like it, it basically allowed us, you know, working from home to start working on some other projects that, that maybe otherwise we wouldn't have uh, gotten into. And I, I think we're certainly going to be better off for it. Yeah. The, the April 2020 was probably the depth of, of, of the pandemic from a business perspective, from a quarantine perspective, because everyone was doing it, right? All, you know, restaurants were shutting down and trying to figure out, or as the, the over the now overused word pivot, uh, trying to pivot to take out or carry out or delivery. Uh, you know, were you essential, non-essential? If you're retail, you were completely closed down. There was no traffic on the streets. The pictures of you know smog and pollution and and large cities from a normal life day to a you know deep quarantine day, and you can suddenly you can see. Uh, monuments and other historical sites from far away. You can see blue sky. I mean, it, the experience was um, to use another often abused word, surreal, because you're you're, you're just sitting there like, is is this really happening? And it is, and so you just have to grasp that onto that. And 
I think there are a lot of listeners out there that are going to, if they can look back and say, okay, let me really focus in on what was life like just over a year ago. How did I, uh, how did I approach my work, especially if you're an entrepreneur, how did I lead my business during that time? What decisions did I make? And, and as you said, did it give me a chance to, to go from working in the business to pull myself up out of the weeds, which is way too easy to get sucked into and work more on the business and look at our overall strategy? And is it an opportunity to, to take a breath and, and really maybe move things around a little bit? I mean, you don't want to take, throw the baby out with the bathwater and completely suddenly retool your business just because, you know, in one month, but there are, there are a lot of opportunities to, to have some improvement there that you otherwise wouldn't have been able to have if you were just in the daily grind. I look back and we, we both have mutual friends who like so many others, the golf industry certainly profited. I, I guess I should say from the situation last summer when, you know, quarantines weren't in place. Uh, people weren't traveling though for, for work. So your, your prototypical salesperson didn't have customers they could go see. So maybe they got up, they did a couple hours worth of work, and then it's like, well, what am I going to do? I can't travel. Wait a minute. Isn't that just sales? Well, <laughs> maybe. Depends. Just kidding. But the number of rounds, like, skyrocketed. I mean, we, we know both know people who played 100 rounds of golf last year, which is insane. Um, but I think for, for us, we put in various projects in place that are – starting to pay off and starting to come to fruition now. And we'll get into those in, in future episodes, but the, I, I'm, gl I'm really glad that we, we did what we did and that we uh, looked at it the way we did in terms of, you know, taking a step back. I mean, we really didn't have much else to do, but I'm, I'm glad the opportunity presented itself um, trying to, trying to find the silver lining and all this that uh, will be, will be good for us in the years to come. Yeah, there's there's no doubt a lot of perspective has to be lent to the situation that it's not lost on us the the health and impact to life that that COVID has had. Uh, we've we actually lost a loved one to COVID. Now, uh, Grant, she was advanced in age and had other health issues, but we know what that experience is like. Um, we we have had an impact on our business that was very acute at the time. Uh, so we know what that was like seeing the numbers. Uh, that said, we also consider ourselves extremely fortunate because the industry we're in and in, in manufacturing in general, uh, the bounce back was very, very quick and, and very, very strong. Uh, so it's not lost upon us that there are a lot of other people out there that struggled far worse than us and continue to struggle. Um, so we do consider ourselves fortunate and, and know what we, what we have. Um, it is, it's, I think we'll talk about this down the road. Uh, but the, the bounce back, you know, the, the problems don't necessarily go away. They just sort of change. And it, it, you know, in April, May of last year, it was, okay, where's the business at? Because so many of our customers are shut down or on limited operation. Now it's 180 degrees away from that most of our customers have backlogs, you know, through the roof. And it's a function of there is so much demand out there. Supply can't keep up. Where are we going to get materials from? Uh, 
the, you know, the raw material shortages, the supply chain issues with logistics, transportation, you know, kind of being the same. Uh, the, the challenges today are just as strong or as, or as difficult as they were a year ago, but boy, are they entirely different. Yeah, that that's kind of a good segue into where we are now or the, you know, the past six months or, or so. Um, it, it was it was it was a fairly quick rebound, which we we kind of thought it might be. I mean, hence hence the the project green light. Like we knew that at some point we we're going to come out of this, obviously, and we just didn't know maybe know how how quick or how to what extent. But we knew we needed to be ready when that time came. Um, and yeah, it came. It it it's it's been incredibly robust. Um, and now it, it's it's as you said turned into another problem. Um, with demand outpacing supply, but then you have some supply issues that have happened. I mean, with the weather in Texas, um, issues with other, you know, raw material suppliers that has really caused an issue, um, today with, with, you know, scarcity of product to sell. Um, so it's going to, it's going to make the next few months interesting. I think we're starting to see maybe a little light at the end of the tunnel for that as well, but we're not quite there yet. Um, but it's it's been an interesting time to say the least. <laughs> yes, it has. Um, as you noted, the it'd be one thing if it was just a supply demand issue, but there's been this uh, certainly the the perfect storm, the proverbial perfect storm between demand outpacing supply from a sort of just a macroeconomic perspective, and then weather events that that really hampered the supply chain of a lot of, of base solvents out of Texas, out of Houston. You have um, shortages of container ships to move product from, you know, one continent to another, bringing in whether it be raw materials or finished goods, you know, elongating the the time frame up for delivery. You have uh, raw material manufacturers, resin plants that are that are offline for a variety of reasons. Uh, and then, so you, in the last, really since late March, April through now, uh, it was one thing to have the normal price increase, uh, sort of custom, if you will, that occurred end of year, um, which, which is not terribly uncommon. And then two, three, four months later, you're getting second, third, fourth waves of price increases on the same products. You've got base raw materials that are commodities that we've got some products that we buy that are up anywhere from, I mean, if they're only up 25% in cost, that's magic. But there are many that have more than doubled in cost. Some have gone three up 300, 400% in the last three months. How do you, how do you maintain some level of margin to be able to pay your bills without completely, uh, you know, just, blowing up the marketplace uh, that that's been the biggest challenge for us. And we had, thankfully we attacked it early uh, back in early March. We went through our purchasing cycle and said, okay, we're going to double all of our min maxes. So we really started buying up inventory to ride it out. And now it's sort of fingers crossed uh, because the, the, the words force majeure and allocation are still uh, pretty popular words these days. And, uh, being on allocation for some materials, hopefully we've got the stock and inventory to ride this through. Cause I think we're probably Q2, Q3 of seeing more of, you know, maybe not getting worse, but probably plateauing. Yeah. And it's across the spectrum. 
I mean, this isn't just on the coating side. We're seeing it on the chemical side and on the equipment side as well, uh, both in terms of our supplier products, but then also the, the manufacturers that we sell to are certainly having their, their own issues. I think the media started highlighting the whole chip shortage, which yeah. is legit. And Trying to buy a car. And, right, and seeing how uh, that has affected so many things. But it's not just chips anymore. It's a whole host of things. And uh, I, I know we both have our own respective peer groups, and we were talking about that. And I said, you know, don't don't be, don't think it's just the, the chip shortage and it's going to affect cars and maybe a few other things. It's it's a lot more widespread than that. And now we're now we're seeing it. So yeah, that's, these are the kinds of things we'll be talking about about on this podcast. Um, you know how how industry wide issues can affect a bunch of us, um, and and how we get through that uh, as a team as as a community. Yeah, I'd, I'd say, hey, uh, entrepreneurs in America, are you ready for the Roaring Twenties? Because they're here. Uh, they've been here for the last several months, believe it or not. Uh, and they've not been all-inclusive, but as time passes, more and more uh, segments of, of industry for manufacturing, but service, hospitality, and so on are going to, to get caught in this wave. How are you, how are we going to handle it so that it does not interrupt our business? We can see you, Heather. You're crawling under the cameras, but we can still see you. <laughs> are you? Do you want me to go by director, producer? How do you? How do you want to be referred? Consultant, fan club president. <laughs> <laughs> we have our mixologist over here, not the boozy kind of mixologist, but the the guy on the ones and twos. <laughs> I think I made him smile. Oh, he's laughing now. Um, so. Back to the to the the topic at hand, we are about to experience our own version of the Roaring Twenties. Uh, are, are we ready for it? Are you are you ready for it out there in uh, podcast audio video land? Uh, because it's a chance to make some hay. It's a chance right. to really go out there and and do some good things uh, from a business perspective and a community perspective. Uh, and we don't know how long it's going to last. So ride it while we can and, and, uh, enjoy it. Yeah. And I would, on, on that note, I would also say that one of the other underlying themes, um, in terms of how we came up with the title for this podcast is just kind of who we are as people. Uh, we are not, uh, cruise control kind of, kind of guys. We, we are all about growth, um, looking to expand, to diversify, do new things. And I think this, this, uh, the past 12 months have allowed us to take another step forward in that direction. So we, we very much look forward to what the immediate future holds for some new things that uh, we'll be rolling out with. Yeah. Speaking of cruise control, does anyone have on their car that what they call adaptive cruise control? It's the worst invention ever. So you, you're going 75 down the highway and I can't on my car, I can't figure out how to deactivate it. And you come up on a car in front of you and it automatically slows you down but doesn't really tell you. So if you're just sort of cruising along and then suddenly you've got cars flying by you and you're like, man, they must be going really fast. And you look at your dash, like, wait a minute, why am I only going 55 on the interstate? I, I just want to make a note that I hate adaptive cruise control. When I set it at 75, I want to be able to do 75. All right. Anyway, so noted. Thank you for letting me vent that out. All right, folks, thanks for joining us for episode one of the industrious podcast. We hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, if you have any suggestions of topics that we, like to talk about and hit on hit us up comment and uh, don't forget to subscribe to the youtube channel hit those notification bells so you can be alerted to when new po new episodes drop subscribe to the assessa youtube channel thank you